Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. A great time with Roger Hurricane Wilson. I have the coolest guest, you guys. You are going to love this guy. I met him a while back, I don't know, a month or so. And the moment I met him, I'm like, I have to know more about him. Now, when you call yourself Roger Hurricane Wilson, and I'm from Florida, that has meaning to me. That means that your presence has impact. The more I've gotten to know this man, the more that's an accurate name for him. We're going to learn about how he got that nickname, but also we're going to learn about this amazing career he has and how he put it together over all these years and all these decades. See all the cool guitars behind him? He plays those. How cool is that, right? So, Roger, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy you're taking your time out of your busy life because one of the things that really got my attention when I met you was your professional and casual and creative demeanor kind of all coming together. So will you share with us a little bit about the Roger backstory? And I, I know you have a book out that's your bio and all that, but if you were going to give us a cliff note version of how did you get started in, in music and playing the guitar? You know, you were very young and, and give us a little cliff note version of then till now. Well, basically I, I started playing guitar at nine years old and I think I just did it because this kid up the street from me in my little neighborhood uh, was taking guitar lessons. And so I, I thought, I told my mom, okay, I gotta, I gotta do that. So then I, then I started taking guitar lessons and I started learning note by note, you know, and, and uh, after about three or four years I could play, you know, I had a stack of books about a knee, about knee high and I really, but I, I could go through the motions and I won a couple little trophies at some recitals and stuff, you know, as a kid, but I really couldn't just play guitar. You know, I, it was like I could go through the motions. I could open the book and play the notes and everything was cool. And then my friends were in like a rock and roll band in a garage, you know, and they were playing, you know, bar chords and playing Louie Louie and, and all this other stuff, you know, and I'm going, oh, my God, I got it. So I went to another teacher and learned that, you know, <laughs> and then and, and then I went into, I started playing trumpet in the fifth grade elementary school band and did that till the eighth grade, uh, but still kept playing guitar. But then when I was 14, I went away to school in Georgia. And because my little town in Jersey, New Jersey, where I was originally from, my mom was from Atlanta and I had relatives there. So my little town didn't have a high school at the time. Now they had signed to build one, but when I graduated from elementary school, they did, I, I was going to be buzzed around. So my folks said that they wanted to send me to a military school and I freaked out. <laughs> but my mom and I had been to Atlanta in uh, summer of 66 to visit relatives. And so what happened was I freaked out about the, military school thing and I ran around the corner and ran away from home for like an hour and then I thought about it and I went back and told my mom and dad I said if, if you will send me to Georgia to go to school then I'll go I'll do whatever you want and I knew it was never going to happen it's just not going to happen and then I went home and told them that I said just send me send me to Georgia to Atlanta and they went hmm good idea you know and then <laughs> my mom remembered my mom remembered a military school Georgia Military Academy. They got the catalog and everything, but it had just changed to be, the name had been changed to the founder from 1900 to Woodward Academy. 
And uh, I went away the next year and I got in the school band. And then about oh, three years later, I'm age 17 and I'm getting I'm more and more into rock and roll. And, and I'm, you know, just loving music. And I, I, I guess uh, my story is I smoke a joint. And I go in and stand eight feet from Dwayne Allman and an Allman Brothers Band concert. And then all bets are off. And here I am. Wow, that's amazing. So when did you start writing songs? How old were you when, when you started writing songs? Because I know you write. How did, how did that happen? Because there's one thing to play them and to keep growing in that, but, but writing them. Well, first of all, I'm, I, start te- I, I start teaching guitar. Uh, I, I got a job in 72 before I left Jersey at, uh, teaching in a music store, teaching guitar. And the reason I did that this all leads into the songwriting thing. And I mm-hmm. gotta explain that because I, I'm, I get a job at this uh, little music store, but I had worked at this crappy job uh, in a factory, you know, when it was like I was taking, uh, they were bringing dump truck loads of uh, government, U.S. government ballpoint pen casings. And they were dumping them out in front of this factory where I was at. And I was taking them in buckets and I was putting them in a machine and grinding them up and taking them out and put them in another machine and I was, and they were coming out. They were turning into those little foam pellets that you pack with packing, packing foam pellets, right. like little marshmallow looking things. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh my God. What a nightmare. I mean, it was freezing cold. It was dingy. It was grungy. It was um, raining, pouring rain. Rain was coming in. You know, I looked at the clock. Well, I, I thought I was like working about three or four hours, five hours. I looked at the clock. It was like 15 minutes. You know, I was going, <laughs> Jesus, you know, so I knew that was not going to happen. So I ran home that night and I, I got in the phone book and I started calling a music store in the area, just calling music stores. And I said, you know, and I told my, I, I wanted a job teaching guitar lessons. And the reason I thought that is because I, I knew that if, if I got a student, I, I could teach them the way I learned note by note, string by string, piece by piece. Just, I'm just going to teach the way I learned how to do it. Right. All right. So then I called this music store and a nice lady owned the store. And I went in there that night and she hired me. She said, well, how long have you been teaching? And I said, uh, Oh, uh, well, yeah, uh, four, four, about four years. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the ticket. Yeah. Four, <laughs> yeah, four, yeah, four years. And she says, well, you seem like a nice clean cut young man. And we'd like, you know, we'd like to have you, you know, teach for us. And I'm going, okay, cool. You know? So then here I am, I'm hired, you know, and then a day or two later, I go back for my first student and it's a little six year old girl with a guitar, she's holding it in her hand like this, you know? And they said, okay, Roger, here's your first student. I'm going, oh my God, here it is, you know? And so then reality set in, but I sat down with her and I, and I, I taught her, you know, I mean, I, I, we worked it out one by one. And then I got more, a couple more students and a few more students. All right. So I had that job for a while. Then I, you know, went ahead and moved back to Georgia and I, on, a, on the uh, suggestion of somebody else. And I moved in with a guy that, had a, had a business teaching. He had a, an established guitar studio business. All right. So he goes, uh, he, he didn't really hire me. He just gave me an opportunity was he said here, you know, you can like advertise, try to get, you know, recruit your own students, you know, advertise with the paper, you know, just network, do what you got to do. And here I am, I'm 19 years old and mm-hmm. I'm living in a, in a upstairs room at this place. And the studio is downstairs and, so anyway, I get, you know, I start advertising and I get, I start running around the music scene and everything. And I get, I get one student, I start teaching him and I get two students, you know, and it's, it's going to be a, you can tell it's going to be a, a real fight, but then I got, you know, then one student quits and then two more, you get two more. So after about, you know, a year or so of just going through the motions of trying to teach people, like I learned, this kid came in one day 
nice, nice kid. He had a school uniform on, one of the private schools, something like that. He, he had a guitar in his hand, you know, in one electric guitar in one hand, and he had a record album in the other. And he mm. didn't know how to play guitar, but he comes in with the record album and the guitar, and he says, hey, man, just, how about, you know, show me something on this album? And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you uh, you don't know how to play guitar yet. I really need to show you some basics. You got to learn. To, he says, yeah, I yeah, know. Just, he says, just show me something I can play, you know, have some fun with. And that was the key to the thing was he said, have some fun. I don't know why it stuck out, but it did. And I say in my book that I think the record was Led Zeppelin 4. I think it was the song Black Dog, I believe, mm. by, by Led Zeppelin. And I, so I had, a, you know, back then, you, in order to teach, there was no uh, digital, nothing. Everything was on the turntable. You put a record on to learn the lick and you ruin the record. And that's how you did it. And uh, right. so I put, the, I put the record on there and I'm queuing it up and I'm, I'm hitting the lick and I'm going, you know, you know, whatever the lick is, I'm just tuning up to it. And the kid goes, yeah, show me that, show me that, you know, I'm going, okay. And uh, so I showed to him and he's, he's suffering with it, man, through the whole 30 minute lesson. He's eking it out and he's going, yeah, man, I'm going to get it. I'll have it next week. You know, I'm, you know by God, I'm going to, yeah. And, and he was just, the, the kid was having a ball. All right. And he, and he got through it. So he leaves anyway. And after he left, he was glowing. It was like a halo around the kid or something. Something was going on. And, and he walked out and I sat there and I said, there, I said, what the hell just happened? I was, you know, what happened? So anyway, my phone didn't stop ringing for 10 years. Okay. I was the cool guy on the North side of Atlanta. Also, that's teaching you what you want to learn. They were bringing And I had kids carpooling that one kid would grab his mom and dad's car and there'd be four kids in the car with a different record album. And they'd come to me. And they take their 30 minute lesson and that each one would sit out in the other out in the lobby out, you know, out there for like an hour and a half working on their licks. And some kid would bring in a Boston album. I think the vinyl wouldn't even dry on the, on the stucker yet. Uh, Rolling Stones, Peter Frampton, uh, you name it. They were bringing them all in. And I was teaching. So finally it, it evolved into the years where, you know, I, I put a band together and I'm playing with some guys, but, but I'm also going to these kids recitals and I'm making a living teaching. I mean, and the parents are calling me up and the parents are coming in going, thank you. Cause I'm keeping their kids off the street. You know, I'm, I'm right. keeping them off. They're, they're, they're going, oh, whatever you're doing, please don't stop. I'm going, okay. You know, <laughs> and I couldn't, and I was, I was 20, 20, 21 years old, you know, and I'm, and this is happening to me and I'm thinking, and, and th so this is how I build my chops to play, you know, and then I'm, I'm getting right. some cover bands, right. And we put, we put bands together and we're, all, and we're all, all of us are, we're all playing cover music. You know, we're 20, 21, 22 years old. We, we're playing the songs off the radio. We're trying to play Led Zeppelin and Allman Brothers and, you know, Leonard Skinner and all that stuff. Right. And so now bands are still doing that today and they call it classic rock. But this is what we were doing in the early days. But it got to a certain point where, you know, some of these bands, I mean, the Allman Brothers band started playing cover music, but they had to, but somebody said, you know, you need to play your own stuff. Somebody told me, well, you, you know, you're great at what you do or, you know, you're good at what you do and we're having fun and we're playing, but something was, you know, was not there. And I, so I just started writing some songs and I, I, I made up some stuff. I made up some licks. And so my, I did a first album. I, I guess it was in the, about 76, 77 and about 1978, there was a guy, he was kind of, he was head of Naris in Atlanta. He's long gone now. He, he was the old school uh, Naris. He had a studio. He was head of the Musicians Union. And I think he felt sorry for me or something like that. And he looked like I was, you know, I could have been a tax write-off. And so we cut an, he cut an album on me, you know, and gave me this bogus contract and all this stuff. And 
you know, the album came out and it sounded like crap and I don't want anybody to hear it, but it, uh, but that was it. But I had original songs on there and they were, they were rough. So, but now I, but I, I, some of them were okay to where I have still cut some recently on recent CDs. So that was, it was in the seventies when I started writing. So I guess I was, um, you know, about 21, 22 when I mm-hmm. first started writing my, my own songs. And then, uh, you know, I've never had any real hits or anything, but I've, but I've done some stuff that I guess is okay. And, and I keep, I keep doing it, you know, if that, if that answers your question, it, it was, it's a big evolution to get to that certain point to, to want to write songs. And now I, you know, can't stop. Right. It, it's like you, you're open to that well within you when you were 21 or 22. And now, like you said, you just can't stop. It's just coming through you. And, and that's, that's really fun. Did you ever have time? time or moments back then when all as all this was uncovering where other people would look at you and they're like they didn't understand you or didn't get it or they judged you like why do you want to go into music and how come you're doing this musician thing and don't you want you get a real job or any of that did you have anybody like project that kind of like kind of sour grapes on you or were most people around you like really into it with you how, how was that for you well i, I suppose my my mom who was um <clears throat> was a big support i mean my my mom and dad supported me you know they 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 encouraged me they they probably were looking at me going you know like that but but <laughs> but, but, they, but they were still but they were still in my corner and uh, so well my my mom passed away in 2018 she made it to age 100 and she was the kind of, and she was a government worker and she worked for the U.S. Army as a civilian employee. She was very articulate, very smart, a w- just a wonderful lady. She lived b- life by the book, did everything right. You know, she just was good and uh, very articulate. And, and she, so she would always tell me, but then I was, but I was wanting to play music. Once I got out of Woodward Academy, when I graduated in 72, mm-hmm. I was ruined. You know, I had to play guitar. I mean, I was just, that's what I wanted to do. And she knew that. But she was also saying, you know, whether you just get a job with the government, you know, you'll have everything you need. You'll have, you know, you'll have your pension and you'll have your insurance and, you know, just get a job with the government. Well, she's, she worked for the U.S. Army at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, and she retired from there and they, they, she did it right and everything was cool. <clears throat> Since then, that same fort that she worked with closed, okay? But before it closed, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, who I'd been watching while he was playing high schools, rented Fort Monmouth out for a, retur- a, re- a re- rehearsal before an E Street Band tour. So wow. what happened here? What happened here was the rock and roll won. The the government went away, and the rock and roll took over. You know, <laughs> and and she was you know, and I she was too far along in dementia for me to tell her this and really realize it. But I, somewhere along the line, you know, we were on the same page, and and we, we knew something was going to happen. But it's not like I, I stepped into the music business and made a, you know, I mean, really, you put my name on a marquee and I can't draw flies, really, but unless somebody knows what I do. But the fact that that happened, you know, it, it gave me an inspiration to think, well, you know, I, I think maybe I can continue doing this. And, and I just have. I just did it and never looked back. Right. So when you think in general in your life, are you thinking in song and thinking in lyric? I mean, is music like always going in your head somehow, some way, or, or how, how yeah. does it work on the inside of Roger's head? <laughs> Just like you said. <laughs> well, it was it was funny because when I 
graduated from high school in 72 in Georgia. And I went back to New Jersey for a year. You know, that's when I, that's when I found the guys in the East street band and all the guys, you know, playing around Asbury park and the Jersey shore. So I had already, you know, I'd already watched the Almond brothers band and Southern music cultivate itself from having listened to Otis Redding early on. And then I'm now I'm, I'm in the up North and I'm watching the, the North thing go on. Right. So, so I guess, um, I'm, I'm trying to ha- figure out how it was, how is it going to connect this here? Um, well, where were we going with this? I asked you about you thinking in song and in lyrics. Yeah, like, okay. is that how so you I, think? I, yeah. So anyway, I, that was all coming together on, on both you know parts of the continent. But then I went, I went to college. This is what mm-hmm. happened. I went to a, a community college and mm-hmm. I took, I was in the music program. That's, that's where I was going with this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's and, okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, but um, they didn't offer guitar. No, no, no places offered guitar. They didn't do this. They just had, piano and keyboards and stuff and like that. And so I'm taking a music theory class and the lady that was running, that was the professor, she was great at what she did. She was a classical, classically trained, you know, she was an older lady from me mm-hmm. then. Uh, very, very nice and very accomplished and very studious and strict, you know, but when you're learning on the piano keyboard in school and you're trying to do this, now my, my brain is going to think on a guitar fretboard the whole time, you know, right. like I'm, I'm thinking about this right here. I'm thinking about the notes that go up and down there and what, and what, what. So when it came to like take, learning an interval between two notes, I'm thinking, okay, this fret to that fret. So I'm thinking in keep in, in a guitar or a keyboard instead of right. a keyboard. But she came up to me at the side of the class and she's because so many of the people in there, they were, they were, they weren't even, you know, music people. They just were wanting to study music and learn something, you know, so a lot of them didn't even play. There was a right. few in there a few crazy ones in there like me that play guitar or <laughs> did something, you know, but there was some in there that didn't know what was going on. They were just learning the the piano and trying to grasp on whatever they, they could learn. But she right. took me aside from on the outside. She said, she says, I can really tell that you, you have an advanced knowledge, you know, of, of what we're doing here. I'm going, well, you know, so the last time I'm, you know, I'm 19 years old and uh, I'm going, yeah, well, that's possible because I've been playing for 10 years, you know, as far as, a kid mm-hmm. playing guitar. So yeah, that's how my brain was thinking. And she, but uh, I was just so flattered that she picked up on that, that, that she, mm-hmm. you know, recognized that I knew something, which told me, cause I didn't know if I knew a damn thing or not, you know, I'm going, <laughs> okay, well yeah, maybe I do, you know? And right. uh, I, I, so that, that was encouraging that the fact that she did that, she didn't, I mean, she never realized it, but she helped me out by doing that, you know? You know, and that's one of the things I tell a lot of people is that when we share our gifts, like she was sharing her gift with you and her her observation and understanding that we never know how we're going to touch somebody's heart. We can never know that what we say, like she had no idea the way she touched you, but it's still meaningful all these years later and you you recall it. And so I'm I'm sure a lot of people have that experience listening to your music, like there's people out there that are moved by some of the things you've brought to the world. And you'll never know, you know, well, now, some what people might what, tell you. So, so but what happened, what happened in that class? The, the other thing that happened in that class, now that was that part of it, but there was another right. buddy of mine that became a friend of mine. I met him in the class mm-hmm. and he was a little older than me, but he played guitar. And so we, we put a band, we, we put a band together <laughs> nice. and, uh, and we put it together with his brother and a couple of friends. I had been in Georgia for five years. So I'm all back, back new to the New Jersey thing and all that. But, we became friends and we're still lifelong friends now. I, I mean, they're back in Jersey. 
and they played with a little local band, but we still keep in touch. It's unbelievable. But we put a little band together and we uh, started playing around. We were doing, uh, and we're doing all cover music. We're doing, you know, me, I was partial to the Allman Brothers band because I was already raised on them, but we were doing, man, we were doing stuff by Poco and Traffic and all these bands that you don't ever hear about anymore. You know, all this cool stuff. Right. And, we, and, we, and we had three guitars and a drummer and we, we just, we sounded pretty good. We, re, we really did. And I knew I wasn't going to be there for the long haul, but, but it was for that first year. But we played a, a, cup, a prom and we played. So the, but the first concert we did was at the college where I was going to, to school. And we did a Friday night in the, in the rec hall there. And I was, it was probably my first gig really on where I was going to be in front of, you know, in front of people. And I'm, I see the microphone on the stage there. I'm going, and I'm, I'm kind of like scared to death. But, <laughs> And it's my first time, one of my first times singing and everything, but I'm playing guitar. I, I still get, there's a picture of it somewhere. I, I can, it's on my, on my Facebook page um, of the show, but we, we had a ball, but I mean, I was, but I was scared, but I was, but I played Johnny be good, man. And I'm, I'm rocking. We're just having a, a great time. Now the next Monday I go back into school again to the music class. Now this time it wasn't the lady that was teaching the class, but it was the head of the music department. And this guy was a classical musician and he was a conductor, you know, and he comes running up to me and shakes my hand and going, great job, Friday night. You know, and I was like going, oh, my God, because I, I didn't think these people cared anything about what we were doing. You know, I, th I mean, I thought they didn't care. You know, I thought, well, this is our music and, you know, and, and you are that. But they they cared about what we did and they complimented it. I was like blown away by that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I, I can't. It was just amazing. I, because I, I, I didn't think I had. I mean, I, maybe I just didn't have any self esteem or something, or I, I didn't. I don't. I don't know. I didn't know if I was any good. I didn't, and I really didn't care if I was any good or not. It was just so much damn fun to play guitar that that I know it, we sounded like crap going in, but it was so much fun that we did it. You know, and and that's how that worked out. But the fact that these educated people were complimenting me on my ability, just and they don't. They didn't know they were doing that, but but they did. You know, yeah, like, that's like really huge, you know, but see, I think you brought up a good point, too, is you it didn't really matter, except you had to have fun. You were having fun. And I really believe that when we're in our craft, whatever it is, and we're letting ourselves have fun, that something more amazing comes out than we think than our brain can think. And so those people heard the amazing thing that was the outpicturing of your fun. Well, and they it, was. Loved it, it. Was, it, it, it was that. I mean, because I mean, I played guitar because I love playing guitar, and I didn't care if anybody was listening or not. I mean, that's just the way. And that's really kind <laughs> I of the way. I, I guess. <laughs> I guess it's kind of the way it still is. And but now, now with the, with the you know the technology and what we have, I can make music and put it out there. And I can. I'm hitting more radio stations now around the world than I ever did. You know, staring through a windshield sixty thousand miles a year. You know, it's crazy. Right. Yeah, it's really but, great. Who knew? Who knew? Right. So you mentioned a lot of rock and roll bands in the seventies, which now they call classic rock. And I, and I say lovingly that I have mid seventies syndrome um, because it's my favorite music from the seventies. I love all of it. My mother was a classically trained um, classical pianist. And um, so I have a great appreciation for that in jazz. She played really great jazz, but I still love mid seventies music. And so you play a lot of blues. So, how did blues weave its way in, or was it always kind of there? Well, it was always any 
historian or musician that's come along that's come along will tell you that it was always there. We always were listening to blues and we didn't know it. Right. You know, the, the Rolling Stones were the ones that were, were really introduced it back to us. You know, people like, and then a lot of the early English musicians, you know, the early Fleetwood Mac, Peter Green, Alexis Corner, a lot of these cats in, in England. The, the, the British guys are the ones that grabbed onto it. They, they, they knew what was going on. We didn't know what was going on. But you go back and listen, <coughs> excuse me, you listen to some old Cream albums, you know, and you listen to like some, uh, early cream albums and you'll hear like, you know, you hear some Albert King licks. Uh, if you listen to, you know, you listen to Stevie Ray Vaughan, well, you're listening to Albert King, you know, you're hearing all this influence from way back. Right. Um, and somehow it, it transcended. Uh, and we didn't, we didn't know that we were just, th- we thought we listened to like acid rock or, you know, just listening to the guitar or, you know, whatever. It was just rocking out, but, but there was a groove, a subtle groove in there. And, uh, Gradually, it started coming through, and bands like, of course, like Cream. You know, they did. They took uh, Albert King's "Born Under a Bad Sign" and did a version of it. You know, and, but nobody knew it was an Albert King song. It just thought it was Cream. You know, but it was a cool song. And then, uh, the, well, of course, the Animals were doing like John Lee Hooker songs way back in the '60s, and so w- we were we were infiltrated with it, but we didn't we didn't know it. And uh, so later on, uh, it it just I guess uh, acts like, for instance, BB King would be on the Johnny Carson show a whole lot. You know, right. so his, that was the visibility he had. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of lot of visibility of it, but there was a cult following, you know, for it, and it came out in a lot of the blues and you know the, the folk festivals. Uh, you had guys like uh, a lot of the Delta guys, like Mississippi John Hurt, and all these unheard of, you know, wonderful musicians, and somehow. There were purists that went back and dug them out and brought them out, and and it kind of just transcended into, you know, learning about Robert Johnson, mm-hmm. and and I guess the way it happened for me, when I say I didn't know, you know, I I didn't know my head from a whatever as far as where it came from, but I love the music, and and it goes back to the the Dwayne Allman and the Allman Brothers band, the early early band. Now they're playing all these blues songs. And the slide right. guitar was was ripping, and it was just and and the, the groove was like in Statesboro Blues. You had the, the the shuffle thing going on, and we're just sitting there going, "Oh my God, what's going on here?" You know, we didn't <laughs> we didn't know. All right, so then in October, my senior year of high school, I was the drum major in the high school band. I, I grew about three feet in a few years, so the band director made me the drum major, and uh, I'm conducting the. The Star Spangled Banner on a on a high school football game before a game. It was the same day that uh, Dwayne Allman uh, passed away from a motorcycle accident back in October of '71, and that that kind of devastated me because I'd already been start, starting to dig. And the guy was only 24 years old, but I was already starting to dig mm-hmm. into the stuff. Okay, so you figure <clears throat> a year later, the the Dwayne Allman anthology album comes out. Now this is this is just from my perspective. There's a lot of mo- people out there that knew a lot more than I did. This is the way it hit me. Uh, so the album comes out and there's a big insert, a big paper insert biography and a story about Dwayne Allman's got some pictures of him playing. You know, he was playing with Wilson Pickett and doing sessions with Aretha Franklin at Muscle Shows before, you know, I ever knew that. But once I read about him and I'd already seen him play, was already knocked out by his playing. Uh, I'm reading in there and he's talking about he's he's talking about Robert Johnson. He's going he, he mentioned the name Robert Johnson. And it meant, it said something about well, his eyes would light up when he would talk about Robert Johnson. I'm going, okay, Robert Johnson, who the hell is that? I got to figure this out. And then 
Elmore James, you know, another Chicago blues man. You know, then he's talking about Blind Willie McTell, which was a Southern 12-string acoustic player that wrote Statesboro Blues. So you're talking about, so here's three guys, and then he's talking about T-Bone Walker. So he's, he's talking about these four guys, you know, that inspired him, blues guys that are household names today, but, the, but they weren't then. And so I'm thinking, okay, I got to remember who these guys are. And I wrote them down and I went to a record store and I found, somehow I found collections. Here I am, so I'm 19 years old and I'm going to a record store and I'm finding these collections of Bonnie Willie Mattel, T-Bone Walker, Elmore James, and Robert Johnson. Now these are all old recordings. <clears throat> so to my young ear back then, I put them on, I put it on the radio, on the radio, I put it on the turntable and I'm playing the record and I hear Robert Johnson crossroads, right? Now, it sounds nothing like what Eric Clapton did to it. And what Eric Clapton did to it, he even regrets what he did to it. But it sounded nothing like that. It was just an old recording. and But you could, you could hear him singing and you could hear the guitar. And I, and I, I, but I couldn't decipher quite yet. I can. I, I can now. But, but then, but, but I'm walking around with, I got four albums under my arm. I'm going, okay, I can't hear any of it, but I know it's in here, you know. <laughs> It's in here somewhere. I know it is. It's in there. I'm walking. I'm 19 years old and I'm walking around with four blues albums under my arm of these guys. But now you could, but the influence from a lot of the rock and roll we were hearing came from, from these albums that I'm talking about. And so I just started digging into it. And so the other thing that helped my ear, uh, because I was teaching for so many years, going back from the kid bringing the record in, right? Right. So right. finally it was for, for so many years, the kids are bringing the records in and I'm putting them on the turntable and I'm, I'm making cassette tapes of each song they bring in. And pretty soon I have a whole wall full of songs that I've been able, that I'm the guy that could put a record on and show them the song. This was, this was my development of sitting down every day, day in and day out right. doing this. And I was the, like I said, I was a cool guy in North Atlanta cause there was a couple guys around the corner. Um, one guy had been teaching for like 40 years and everybody couldn't stand him because he was doing the same thing for 40 years. And, and there was another guy that was teaching. He didn't know what he was doing. He was teaching like somebody had to strum a chord and that was it. But, you know, and so I was just doing, but I, I was doing all I knew how to do and it took off. And uh, so building from the teaching, from building the chops to learning to write the songs to going back and pulling out the old names and, and figuring out where the history comes, how it gets there. And, and how, how you get from there to here. And now there's all kinds of documentaries about it. And, you know, there's blues in the schools courses, and there's a lot of, a lot of history now to choose from and a lot of, a lot of ways to, you know, to, to find it and figure it out. Right. That's really neat. I remember my mom telling me a lot about blues being under underneath everything, you know, and, yeah. um, and so I remember from when I was younger and I, I've talked about it with other people before. So I wanted to find out like how you got there. Like, and I love that story because you're, you're young and you, you knew it was there. So you, you dug into it because you have a lot of tenacity. That's what I heard in that story was I'm focused. I have tenacity and I'm going to uncover this. And that's just the way it is. I, you know, and, and I love that mentality. So here's a cool question. It's popping in my mind. If we could bring back your 19-year-old self and have him hanging out sitting next to you now, what would your current day self tell that young man? Having lived all the life you've had and all these experiences, what would you tell your 19-year-old, curious, amazing, focused, going to play guitar no matter what self? What would you tell him? Probably just don't be an idiot. You know, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't be an idiot. <laughs> I, well, you know, it goes back to there's. I'm trying to figure this out as you asked me. And, you know, I told you I, that I played guitar because it was fun. And right. I really never cared. I really never cared about whether anybody was listening or not. But when they listened and then when we got pretty good, you know, playing in a band or doing what we did, uh, it kind of, it can go to your head. You know, a lot of times it mm -hmm. can, you know, it, that that's the, that's the biggest thing. Like it can go to your head and, and, and that's just not good. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and everything. And so I, I there might've been a time out there when, you know, when I was teaching, I was, I was great because I was all absorbed in learning the music and passing it on to whoever was sitting next to me at the lesson, you know, that kind of thing. But then a lot of times maybe you get out on stage and you think maybe you're a little better than you are. And, you know, and that also led into the, you know, the somebody buying you a drink and it led into the you know thing that escalated into, you know, alcoholism later on, which was a problem. You know, and then I, at age, like I just turned 68 yesterday, but at age 30, Happy you know, birthday. I pretty much, <laughs> thank you, but I was pretty much, but at age 30, I was pretty much uh, hit rock bottom. And basically, I, I didn't really understand why, because all I wanted to do was play my guitar. But all of a sudden, I'm in this, in this web of, uh, I don't know, it was, it just wasn't good. It was not a good place to be. And, and it was, uh, it was painful. But, so if, if I could tell, if I could tell my younger self, you know, don't drink, yeah, that would be one thing, you know, for don't sure. Don't get caught in that and web. It, don't get caught in that yeah. web. So you don't have to come out of it. Yeah. Right. That's a good, that's yeah, good. And I, and I never did drugs or anything. I mean, I, you know, we, we smoked a bunch and all that stuff, but I, but I never did any of, any of that other stuff. I mean, I just, I didn't do it. Um, so the, but I guess it's when people, you get accolades and, and uh, some people are all about being famous. You know, like that, that's a lot of people want to do that. They want to get on YouTube. They want to be famous. Now, I all, all I cared about was making a living and not starving to death and having a roof over my head. So I, that's why I was able to, you know, to, to survive. I didn't want to be living under a bridge and trying to huff, you know, hustle a gig or something. I, I didn't want to do that. Um, <clears throat> so the, the biggest thing I would say, and I even had a student once that came in. And I think I realized that, that now this was probably about the time I met, I was 21 or 22. And I was, I had this young kid and he, believe it or not, nowadays, I'm not gonna say who he is, but he was a really good guitar player, really good. And he came out, but he was kind of a cocky little guy, you know, and he, I could hear him clumping up the stairs when he was coming to my studio, you know, when he was like right. one of these kind of guys that was just kind of like all over the place, you know, like, Hey, yeah, man. All right. You know, and he had a little uh, electric guitar and he was wanting to play some, you know, he's, he played some stuff. I was showing him some Chuck Berry licks and, you know, he wasn't bad for, he was just a little kid. He was years, a few years younger than me. Um, probably six or eight years, I guess. But he was just a kid at the time. I mean, hell, I wasn't much older than that. So this, he's a really a kid, you know, and I'm, I'm showing him some stuff and he, he was picking it up and you could tell that he actually had perfect pitch. I mean, he was, he was, he, he could do it. He was capable of, but he had this little cocky attitude about, mm -hmm. You know, uh, he, he asked me, he says, hey, man, you have any other students as good as me? You know, and I went, <laughs> I went and I went and this is this was a lesson for me, too. OK, at the time. And I said, man, boy, I just went, I went, man, I, I got I got really I said, I said, what did you just say? I said, shut up. You know, I said, don't ever say that again. I said, you're the worst student I've got. Don't ever say that again. And get 
play that you know, right there, you know. And he's he he was all of a sudden he's like just about to cry. I mean, he's he's sniffing and you know, you know, like that. And I, I said, knock it off and play that music, you know. And I mean, I was giving him the, the tough love thing, you know. Right. So we, we we finished the lesson up, and he goes, and he says to me, he says, uh, he says, "Am I really your worst student?" I said, I, th- I said, not necessarily, but I said, you don't ever say that. You don't ever, you don't ever do that again. I said, I don't care what you do, but don't ever do that again. All right, don't ever say that. You you do what you can do. There's always going to be somebody better than you that can come along. And there's always going to be somebody that's not as good as you. So don't ever take that attitude again. He never did. And mm-hmm. uh, so uh, and it was kind of a lesson for me at the same time, you know, to do that. So um, right. then later on, year, years later, and I tried to maintain that, you know, sometimes I might have gotten a little, you know, out there, but uh, but I tried to maintain that kind of attitude myself. Right. And I know it didn't always I know it didn't always work. There's people probably that think that, you know, that I'm the farthest from that. But later on that when I was in the broadcast business and I was uh I worked for, you know, I was in radio for years. I still am. Uh, but I worked for CNN for 10 years, the old CNN back when uh, Ted Turner yeah, used to sign my check. I was there from 86 to 96 during the first Gulf War and uh, the Iran-Contra hearings and the OJ trial, all that stuff when live news was starting to take off and CNN was the only network out there. And uh, so there was a good friend of mine, the weather guy, in the early days of there. And we're sitting in the break room one day. And this guy was a great, he was great. These guys are just all journalists and weather people and meteorologists and everything. And I, and I'm, we're sitting there having coffee one day and my buddy's talking and he's a weather guy and he looked at his watch and he goes, Oh, I got to run. And he, so we're sitting there having talking like we are now, you know, and he right. just runs into the, he runs into the studio, gets in front of the green screen, throws a clips the mic on, you know, does the weather report. And I said, Oh yeah, the weather's going to be doing this. And, and I'm looking. I'm watching him on the monitor after he ran out of the break room, and and it's the same same guy on TV that's talking the weather, that's sitting here talking, having coffee. And then you know the weather thing gets off, and he, he comes back, and then he comes back in the break room and sits back down having a cup of coffee. Now here's the same guy that's talking to me having a cup of coffee that ran out of the room to go up on the TV <laughs> screen to do the weather. The same guy, he didn't act any different. You know, there's some there's some guys out there that they're like, right. Know, and then all of a sudden the, the camera hits and they're they're you know, Mister Mister Sunshine. You know, there's there different people. There's the on air people and the off air people. You know, right. This guy right. was this guy was on the air, off the air. It didn't matter where he was. He was the same guy. And I I asked him when he came back. I said, man, I said you were just sitting here. We were having coffee and you ran in there and did that weather cut in. And you're this, and I was watching. And I'm going. That's the same guy that was just sitting right here. He didn't, didn't act any different at all. He didn't act any different than when on the air than when he was sitting here. And he came right. back in. and It was the same guy that I just. How did you do that? And he goes. He says, "Well, he says, I'll tell you why. He says because it's just not that damn important. You know. Yeah. I mean, to, to be famous, to be something you're not, or well, he just is. He says it's just not important." So that's why I've always I've always kind of frowned on the trying to be famous kind of thing. But what is what is being famous? What's that going to do for you? I'd rather just make a living and do what I do and be content with it and and uh, you know and have it going on. Well, too, and I think that kind of authenticity and just being real and being ourselves and not having an on switch and off switch attracts the right people to us because I think people appreciate that. You know, like you appreciated the way he was, and um, yeah, and I think it's just a natural thing. So. 
what would you tell somebody who's listening to you who's maybe already plays guitar a little, but maybe has a secret desire to play and, and, um, but they're feeling kind of stuck or they don't know where to start. What, what would you say to that person listening to us right now? That doesn't know where to start. You mean, I just got a text from my son. So I'm having to deal with this here. Sorry. Yeah. That's kind of, um, that's kind of, that's kind of stuck. Like, you know, Oh, this sounds interesting. And maybe I want to pick my guitar back up, or maybe I even want to start learning these kinds of things. Like I'm feeling kind of motivated from this guy. Like where would you tell them to get started if their curiosity is piqued by what you're saying? Cause I think what you're saying is fascinating. So what would you tell that well, person? You talking about somebody that, that has played before and is discouraged? You mean, or maybe or feels stuck? Like they have an idea and they feel and they they're not sure where to start. I, first, I, I guess the first thing you got to do is just pick up the guitar. You know, I mean, the, I mean that's the first thing, and, and hit a right. couple of notes and see what happens. You know, there was and have a, fun. Th- Probably you'd tell them to have fun. <laughs> Well, there was always a thing about John Prine, you know, the, a story about, that I heard about John Prine, you know, because he was such a wonderful songwriter, probably one of the best that ever was, that, according mm-hmm. to many, and I, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, he just would hit a hit a chord on the guitar and go, "Well, I'll be darned," you know. I mean, it would just be that, and then a song would come out or something. I, I, I don't know. It's really hard. I think if you if you try to try to analyze it too hard. Then it then it gets hard. But sometimes it's it's yeah. really kind of the, the the simple simplest thing is just like I'll sit here. I've got all these guitars behind me, and I don't know which one I'm going to play at the t- at a certain time. Um, I use the gold one as an old is a, a vintage guitar that I I don't take it on the road anymore, but I record with it here. So that's one that I use, and and I've got my recording place where I can a couple songs in mind. I'm, I'm sort of in a, in a dry spell right now, but I've got a whole album of stuff I haven't released yet that I can still work on. And then sometimes something new might come out of that. So Okay, so pick it up and start playing and make sure you just have fun and then see where it leads you, which makes perfect sense to me. I guess if, I think if you, if you try to have any kind of bigger aspirations than that, then, then you get, I don't know, then you get, then that's when you get stuck. Yeah, you can get, you can get in your ego and get stuck. So where did the name Hurricane come from? We only got a couple more questions that I have lined up for you, but I'm curious about Roger Hurricane Wilson. So where did Hurricane, how did that happen? Were you like a Tasmanian Devil Hurricane type dude or did it come from another way? <laughs> no, there's a good story to that. And there is a whole chapter in my book about that. But what happened was, um, you know, and I told you like back in Atlanta and Georgia, I was playing around the, uh, around the Southeast for a long time. I mean, I was playing joints, you know, we we're playing a lot of, covers and stuff with original songs thrown in. And there was a friend of mine that, um, he was a producer. He's still, uh, he's still doing some stuff. Uh, great guy named Alec. And he had a, a record label, his own record label called hot tracks records. And he knew me for a long time. He had a booking agency at one time. And, and, uh, he came out to one of my gigs back in the eighties and, uh, you know, he just, he knew me forever. And, he said something about like, uh, he, he told me, he said, you know, I've seen you playing around. At, uh, you know, I was the kind of guy that was playing five nights a week in town. Nobody cares. You know, they can say, oh, I can see him anytime. You know, like you burn yourself out. You, you play too many places. People get tired of seeing you. They don't want to, you know, and that happens. And so I'm, but I didn't care because I just like playing guitar. So I'm going to play everywhere I can. And that was my attitude of it. But 
he told me, he said, uh, he says, man, he says, uh, you really gotta, you gotta go national. You know, you gotta, you gotta be out there. And, uh, so he decided to do a, my first CD with me. And, and I had a little band together that I was playing. And after I had, um, basically gone into the 12 step program and I'm, you know, I, I no longer having the drinking problem and all this other crap that was going on, which was just an unfortunate sideline that happened along, you know, that got in the way. But, uh, I had a little band called Roger Wilson and the low overhead band. And that's because I, it was a three piece band that was cheap and easy to move, you know, and I could go in for, you know, whatever a club owner could afford and I could play. And, and that was, that was it. It was kind of just something to do. And I, <clears throat> but I wrote a bunch of songs during that time that I, that I've actually redone later on. And I put out a cassette tape. This is before CDs were just starting to hit. And so I, I did an actual cassette tape. But anyway, he took me to the studio and we did the first album called Hurricane Blues. But I wasn't Hurricane then. But but we went on the road and we were we were um, heading to Washington, D.C. Uh, back in the summer of, uh, I think it was 92. And we were, you know, we got doing a little short tour. And uh, so Alec and... Uh, the drummer are riding in his car and I'm in my pickup truck and I'm pulling the equipment trailer and we didn't have, you know, with the cell phones, you couldn't talk back and forth, you know, then because it was a million dollars a minute back in those days. But it was, uh, but we had a radio station on in North, uh, somewhere in North Carolina and they were playing some great stuff. They were playing this uh, old, uh, old beach music, shag music kind of stuff and some blues and they're mixing all this great stuff in. It was on a Sunday afternoon and they had the station on and we pulled over to get gas and they're going, hey, man, did you hear that station? And I'm going, yeah, I got it on, man. They're great, you know. And they were somewhere in uh, North Carolina. And we, so we decided to call them up. And back then, you had, we went to a payphone, called the, called the guy up at the station. Right. And uh, we told them who we were, what we were doing. And, and all I had with us, you know, didn't even have a full CD out. All we had were some basic tracks of uh, the first CD that was going to come out in 94. But we called them up. And the guy was really cool. He says, yeah, man, come on by, you know, come up by the radio station. So we go to the radio station and the guy's in there and he's playing all these records, you know, in the, in the afternoon on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. And uh, so we get in there and talk to him and he's got my name. It's Roger Wilson, obviously. And we didn't say, you know, the overhead band or whatever it was, but uh, we're on the air for like 30 minutes. We played some cuts. We're cutting up and talking back and forth like we are here. Same kind of deal. Just loose, having a, having a blast, you know, right. The end of the, the end, the end of the session on the air, he, he has my material right in front of him. And he says, well, for the last 30 minutes here, we've been on the air with Roger Miller. Right. (laughs) No. (laughs) And, uh, I'm having to text my son. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, it was like, uh, so I, you know, I've been called worse, you know, I mean, I've been, uh, there's nothing wrong with how you're going to, I mean, you screw the guy's name up, but he didn't even think about it. He didn't even, didn't even flinch. He just like Roger Miller, you know, and, uh, closed the book and said, Hey man, thanks for coming by, man. Great. You know, thank you for having us. And I'm like, so I'm, I'm sitting there going, okay. You know, what am I going to, what am I going to do here? You know, I, there's nothing I can do about it. The guy screwed my name up and that's okay. I guess it was okay. But we walk outside and I look at Alec and he's considerably older than me, more experienced in the music business. He's producing my first CD and he's, and he looks and he's, 
and he's over there. I look at him and he's, you remember the movie Clockwork Orange when the guy's over there going like that, you know, he's, yep. you see yep. he was never ready to hammer it. He was, he was just angry. And, and I, looked, I said, man, what's wrong with you? And he goes, he says, man, he says, that made me madder than you can even possibly think about. I said, what, I said, what, you know, what are you going to do about it, man? There's nothing you can do. He says, yes, says, yeah, but by God, he says, you need a monitor. You need something that's going <laughs> to separate you. You know, you need something that's going to, I'm going, yeah, okay, whatever. I, you know, I mean, I, I, by this time I'm, I'm, I'm burnt out, you know, on the whole music business anyway. And that's like 30 years ago, you know? So I'm just, I'm thinking like, okay, that's cool. So we get back into our vehicles and we start driving. We get into that. We got a gig, uh, day or two later in DC and uh, we get to our hotel that night and uh, so I'm in my room and, and Alec comes down the room and he, and he walks in and he goes, he's man, I got it. I said, what do you mean? He says, from now on you Roger Hurricane Wilson. I, I said, okay. And I said, how does that come about? You know, he says, well, look, he says, man, I've been watching you for all these years, playing in these joints one after another. And of course, when I was working at CNN, you know, I'd, I'd leave and I'd go out of town and I'd go do a gig and then I'd be back. I, I mean, I, I was doing, I was pulling off insane kind of things, you know. Right. So, um, he, he also knew about my, when I was a little kid, when I was seven years old, my town in New Jersey was wiped out by Hurricane Donna in 1960. I remember so that like hurricane. A, yep. Yeah. So that was uh, that hit Florida first and came up mm -hmm. into the Northeast. That's what that's the one, and it, and it beat it, it beat us to death. I mean, it really did. Had, it wasn't as bad as Hurricane Sandy, but Hurricane Sandy, there's a lot more technology and a lot more warning about it. Back in the back then, there was no warning. You just you just got your ass kicked, and that was it. Yeah, you know, I remember. Like a, we had a we had a foot of water in the house, and the whole thing. I was in the second grade, you know, and I'm so I, you know it it kind of tore me up a little bit. So, but then he said between me playing all these joints and getting in and out fast and uh, coming, you know, uh, between that, he says, Hurricane was a, you know, a good moniker. And I'm going, yeah, okay. But, but anyway, beside that point, they started, they started calling me that. I had no choice. I mean, they were, they go, Hey, Hurricane. All right. You know, and, and it just, and they started running it around and it started, it's, it stuck. It's stuck. And, yeah. And we just, and we, and we ran with it, you know, and people I love said, well, that story. How'd you get, how'd you get the name? And I said, well, I'm only, I'm like, you know, I'm only hurricane when I get paid. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what I thought. But I got that from George Burns because sometimes one time George Burns, when he was doing the movie, Oh God, back in the seventies, yeah, he was doing an interview somewhere and somebody asked him, said, well, uh, George, what do we call you? We call you George. Or we call you God. And he goes, I'm only God when I get paid. You know, so, <laughs> I, just thought it was, I thought it was kind of, I was kind of funny. Oh yeah, that's that's a great story. I love that. I I lived through Hurricane Donna down in Florida, part of the Florida part of it. Yeah. So everybody, you're listening to Roger Hurricane Wilson, and he's a blast, right? And so uh, we're going to put links to his uh, website and all kinds of things. And if you go on his website, you will find his bio and all kinds of music. He's got a book out, all kinds of things. Like I've been following him ever since I met him. And I just love your music, Roger. Thank you for like blessing the world with your talent and your gift. So is well, there I anything? Hope I, I, I hope I didn't talk too much, but once you, <laughs> I guess no. once you open the floodgate. <laughs> no, you, you didn't talk too much gate, at all. I'm out there. No, it's no problem. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about? Or do you, you feel done or how, where are you? No, I, uh, you know, I, I like, um, 
I appreciate it when, if I'm able to really explain what, you know, what, when you ask me a question, if I can, you know, elaborate on it, I guess that kind of makes it a little bit easier sometimes. Sure. The main thing I, I just, uh, I, I appreciate it. If I do something, I record it and I put it out there and somebody likes it. That's just, that just means a lot to me. That's uh, that's yeah. all there is to it. I'm not, I'm not worried about, I'm really not concerned with, you know, at this stage of my life, I'm not concerned about being famous and I'm not really out hustling gigs anymore. Uh, that gets to be a, you know, when you're young in the business, you're out trying to scope up everything you can. You're trying to get every gig you can. You're trying to get every deal you can. You're trying to get everything. You're trying to get it. You're just trying to get what you can get out of it. And later on, you just go, man, I'm trying, I'm tired of trying to get stuff, you know? And then you got to like think about what you're going to leave behind. And that's, and that's really more, more about it now than anything else. Right. So I'm, I'm sure there's other things I can think about to talk about, but I don't know. I think we've hit a lot. Yeah, I think we hit a lot. And I think it's important that you mentioned the whole idea of legacy and and that what are you leaving behind? Because I talk about that a lot with all my people. So here's your assignment. Everybody is listening. You heard Roger just say it really means a lot if you listen to something that he does and you like it. So when you hear something he does, because I know you're going to check him out on the show notes after hearing this interview, then if you really like it and it has to be the truth and honest, let him know somehow. Comment on it. Do something because it really matters. You've heard it more than once in this interview that, you know, sometimes our kind word goes a lot further than we realize. So just well, like love, his music love, goes a lot further than he realizes. So let's kind of let that energy flow between all of us. What do you think? So well, I, appreciate one last that. I, I love having, I love having people go to my YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com Roger Wilson guitar and being on the YouTube channel is where it's at these days. The other thing right. I was going to mention to you also, you know how in, in this generation, a lot of us are saying of, of our age or my age, whatever they're saying, well, music's just not like it used to be, you know, the, the, it's not, you know, it's just not the same as it was when we were coming along. But what, what that entails. And I got this from knowing Stevie Van Zandt of the East street band, which he runs a uh, website and an educational thing for schools called rock and roll forever.org. And he's making all these beautiful curriculums for schools for teachers to put in the history of music of rock and roll and every and music, how it came along. So what happened in our generation and what he says, and I'll close out with this. Uh, basically when we were coming along, the best music in the world was made between 1951 and 1971. It was wonderful art. I mean, we're talking about people like Otis Redding and Sam and Dave and mm -hmm. young rascals and all these great bands. You can just name band after band song after song. But the thing about it was, is that it was, it was the one, it was a wonderful art, but it was commercial. And so when we turned the radio on in our younger days, we heard this great music and that's how we got it. If it, if we hadn't been in our, mm -hmm. in our face, when we turned the radio on, we wouldn't have heard it. So that's how, that was the advantage that we had about, and that's why everybody says, Oh man, all that great music, you know, well, it was all commercial at the time and it was good music because a lot of it was being pioneered. Now, everything that you're going to hear about that from, from then on is going to be inspired from a lot of that. And some of it's good and some of it's, you know, not so good, but it, it is what it is. But it came from those, probably those 20 years. And that encompasses you know, people like Hank Williams and Elvis and all these other people that came along the way, you know, opening the, opening the doors for everything that came along later on. Then it got corporate in the 70s and 80s and everything. And yeah, it the, keeps changing. Music businesses. Yeah. And that's kind right. of where it's at. But that, that's why our generation was uh, basically reared on what we had. And it was great because it was right at, right at our fingertips. Right. Oh yes, totally. So uh, 
I, all those links will be in the show notes. So you can follow Roger on YouTube, which I've already done, and also on Facebook because it's really fun when you um, stream live some of your music. It's I really, really enjoy it. And so I have one final question for you before we close. And that is if we were going to put a billboard up that the whole world was going to see with Roger Hurricane Wilson's quote for everyone to see, what would be on that billboard? Um, maybe, I don't know, what is old made new again or something. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it when it's old made new again. That's great. I love that, Roger. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show with us today and like sharing all your enthusiasm and fun, your stories, your wisdom. I just, I'm inspired by spending this time with you. And thank you for taking this time out the day after your birthday. So happy birthday. Thank you. I, I loved it. I really did. Cool. Well, remember everybody to keep your face to the sun. So the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You're here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and, and as Roger says, have fun and just enjoy your life because that, my friends, is where our passion lies in that fun. Until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.